So like Sam said, this is the end of the Finding Life uh, with Jesus series. And all the other parts of the series have been like about your private world and working on stuff. This is stuff that we do corporately. This is community today. Um, So we're going to look at flourishing in community, um, the fact that we need to engage with it wisely, but we also need to embrace it and that community is life-giving and requires a wee bit of vulnerability. And I'm going to look at four parts today. I want to talk to you a bit about our story uh, and my story. I want to look at what the Bible says about community and particularly focus on Acts 2 because they're a little bit of a super duper church, but turns out they were pretty normal. And then I want to look at our own hang-ups and challenges about community. So if you're feeling slightly uncomfortable, um, that's what we are going to do. But I'm going to lead by example and um, share my own hang-ups with you and vulnerabilities. And um, part of the reason why I wanted to do this is because a weird thing happens on Sundays in that I might have given off the impression that I have it together. I may have not. Um, If you arrive early enough, there's no impression of me having it together. But by the time you people get here, it may look like everything's calm and under control. And I apologise for that because that's not true. And I have a habit of really wanting to look like I've got it together. I put a lot of effort into looking like I've got it together because it's very safe that way. And it's just how I would like to be if I was really a true grown-up. But I've, people made a couple of comments to me about church obviously being quite easy for me and just about the fact that I'm, you know, I'm in the church, so you, you must, you know, it's really lucky. And, and I know I'm a paid member of this church to actually work for the church, so that should make it, you know, feel a little easier. And I know it's actually my job. Um, and I know that I actually came here from Christchurch to do it on purpose, so I knew about it. But I wanted to share a few things today just to let you know that it's not actually, church is not easy for me. And on the continuum of being an introvert, It may surprise you that I am more wired as an introvert. I don't appear to be one when I'm up here. This is my safest place I could be. I would rather speak to a million people and share truths that I would want to hear and be open and generous than sit in a small group and do the same. That's just how I'm wired. This feels particularly safe. And God's grace has been on that for me. But I'm a shocker in small groups. I get a little tongue-tied or I get a bit weird. I say weird things or I just get a bit uncomfortable or I sometimes try and avoid them or manage them. I just, I don't fully relax in that. One-on-one, also quite love that too. Even one and it's two people, also quite like the two. Hiding out with children, quite like that as well. But church has not been easy for me and it's been an incredible journey for us. And so I apologise for one, looking like I've got it together. Um, Just ask anyone who knows me, that's not true. But two, I get a bit of a thousand yard stare on Sundays because I get a wee bit task focused and I don't think about people. So some people want to talk to me on Sundays, which is lovely because we're church and that's what we do. But I'm probably having about 50 thoughts One of them is trying to count children versus crew and work out if we're going to win this week or not. And then one of them is just trying to manage where all the things have gone from the boxes. That's a huge part of Sunday. And just get all my jobs done and get it right because I want it to be right. So I wanted to share some things about myself because it could feel a little awkward for you today because I'm going to push on some things with a smile. And I'll do it nice, and I might make you laugh if you look uncomfortable, but we are pushing on some things today, because I feel really strongly about community, really strongly about what we must look like as a church, and really strongly about the baggage that we're going to have to get rid of to embrace it. And I don't, I think it's really unhelpful 
if we become a church of people that are trying to look like we've got it together because we don't allow people to share their vulnerabilities or to come in looking like they don't have it together because we're all lying anyway. But we want to make sure that at least it looks like to other people that we are a genuine church. So I feel like it's like going to a meeting where I say my name's Charlotte Buxton and I love the church. But um, as I said, that's not an easy thing for me to say because... I have struggled with church community all my life. I grew up, my parents went to church, so church is something that I did. And one of my fond memories, I know the carpet quite well at the church I grew up in because we used to lie on it in the night service on our lambskins when babies lay down flat on lambskins because it was the 70s. But underneath the pew, and even when we were little kids, we brought our quiet books and we slept in our sleeping bags and we went to night services. And I knew I belonged in church. There was space for me in church. We had to stay quiet, but we got to be in church. And I grew up in a beautiful uh, church family that absolutely loved me. I went to Sunday school. I went to a thing called Bible class before youth group was cool. Yeah, I went to Bible class. Then it got cool and got turned into youth group. And then something a bit scary happened in my church. We were a Methodist church and there was a huge social political uh, wave that went through and suddenly our church was splitting. And I didn't fully understand it because it was, you know, it was adult talk. I don't think the adults really probably understood it either. But it was things going over our heads. But what it meant for me was it was very, very scary because I needed to make a decision. And uh, it was also because I'd recently come back to church as well as a prodigal. So it was hard enough to come home and then to see home break up. And then to also start thinking, I don't understand why we've done this. So we were left in a bit of a wilderness because of wisdom of not wanting to race from one church to another. So as a young 20-something, this eventually uh, Grace Vineyard Church kind of grew up around us. And we started the journey with that church. But I'd come back to it with a bit of an edge and a little bit of dissatisfaction. I decided I'd make a really great youth pastor. Um, because I was a really great speaker and I was youthy and, you know, I was cool. And most people in my church in the time I'd been away, everyone got married, like when they were 18. So if you were 20, you're quite old. So I didn't really know what to do with myself because everyone had got married. And I'd come back to my peers and they were all, you know, had married and I was very old. Um, but a step can understand. Go somewhere else, get planted, start again. And, but I uh, just got annoyed. And I happened to be working up in Living Springs, which is where I met Luke. Uh, that's a whole other story for another day. But Living Springs is a Christian camping centre. And it turned out there was actually a group of us who were quite disgruntled. You know, when you're a little bit disgruntled with church, it's quite easy to find those other people who are a little bit disgruntled with church. And then it turns out that you were right. And you've got, you know, like 10 of you who were super right. And then it might turn out actually that you knew better. And then it might turn out that actually you knew more. And then you had a kind of higher, and it's a true story. So um, that group of people clung together. That was uh, ex-pastors, ex-worship leaders, ex-church leadership, ex-people that had vision and hope and scope in church. And we were right, and we were by ourselves, and we were disgruntled, and we knew what was wrong with you. We were not going to be like you. We were going to restart and do it again. And we weren't going to meet in a church building. Uh, We were just going to meet in homes. And we weren't going to meet in lines because that was really, that had been done. That was quite mainstream. We're going to meet in a circle. And we weren't going to have worship because they were all burnt out anyway. And we weren't going to move until God moved. And God was going to move for a very strange selection of people and their unusual kind of visions and dreams. And we weren't going to do anything, actually, unless God said to do it. But no one was going to know if God said to do it, because we weren't going to do that. And 
laugh as you like, but we did this for quite some time. <laughs> um, and I, I can't often put me and that me together, but the, what fueled that me was I was over it. I was over church, and I was over being told what to do, and I thought I was quite over the mainstream because I wanted more, but I didn't quite know where to look for that more. I didn't know that it requires an awful lot of change on the inside and that actually throwing yourself into community helps you grow. I wanted to get out of that, and it's very interesting when you decide that how many other people you can find. There were some very powerful, gifted, phenomenal people in that room completely distorted in how they did things. But because we were so encouraged to leave behind our family and our friends, and we were so encouraged to cling together because we were right, Luke and I lost a lot of our friends. We didn't have a lot of overlap. That whole church is the story of us coming together, so I find that very hard to carry because we exist and existed in that time. But they really encouraged us to leave people behind, to leave a lot of the things and decisions were made kind of through them. And we really clung together as a group of people who knew better, but hurt as one thing. But not going to resolve it, because, you know, being right, you don't need to. And we did that for a long time. And Luke and I both left our churches that we'd grown up in, so we did not want to be church leavers, because that's a yuck feeling, being a church leaver. And you don't want to make a career of that in church. So we stayed, because we're stayers. So we stayed and did that and became hollow on the inside, because there was no life. It was a counterfeit community that appeared very much to be there for us, but was not there for us in the end. And we had the worst year of our lives in 2005. It rivaled by the earthquake, but we think 2005 probably still wins for baddest year, or other word, of our lives. (laughs) And, And in that really bad year, when we had no friends and family around us, and we had managed to get married through this time, and um, in that year, within months, all three of us, Luke, myself, and Caspian, had ended up in hospital. And at different times, we were very, very sick. Uh, Cas was born prem, and I was sick with preeclampsia that had progressed much further, and Luke later developed another illness and was quite sick. And those people were all we had. And those people brought to my hospital room a little ghetto blaster and 50 tapes. And that was their version of community and hospitality. No one said, this is really crap, Charlotte. Would you like a meal? No one said, I will sit with you as you go through this. No one said that. They bought their teachings because I was going to be a picture for what God was doing in the world at the time. Now, it gives me shivers thinking about this. I think we were maybe in a little bit of a cult. Yeah. And I say that very carefully because that was me. And um, I told you it's going to get a little bit tricky. So you still need to like me and trust me after this. Because uh, we're not there now. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But um, it was a hideous, hideous time. We were so alone, alone outside and inside. And they were not family. They were not community. They were not beautiful, love one another. They, they were a bit weird and twisty and it came out. And we journeyed through that time so alone. But we didn't want to talk to each other about it because we don't want to be church leavers. So we were like, well, we've got ourselves into this terrible situation. We'll just see how we can manage it. But because we had a little baby, used to be little, little baby, we looked at our little baby and thought, I don't want to bring children into this. We wanted to dedicate him and to christen him and to announce him to the world and finally think, oh my goodness, we've got through this most horrible year and we're going to be okay. And we didn't want to bring him into this church. This is not a church that we wanted to have a family in. 
So we made a decision on New Christ, the, you know, December 31st of 2005, uh, and we both just finally confessed to each other, we can't do this anymore. It kind of just bleh out of us. We just cried and hid from the world for a little bit and said, we can't do this. And as soon as we told them, the ugly side was really clear. These people had been out everything, and they cast us out. They spat on us and said, you are lovers of the mainstream which turned out to be true. (laughs) And I stand happily on that curse. I love the mainstream. I love the church. But they said that you are dead to us. And that was it. That was totally it. Everything that we had known for five, six years, everything we'd been through in coming together as a couple, which was, there'd be stories, everything we'd been through with our health, everything we'd been through with our baby, that was it. We were gone. And we had no one. We had absolutely no one because we had said some things. We'd made some choices. So we were really, really alone. But we were so relieved because we knew that, yeah, we did love the mainstream. And we said in that moment, in the wilderness of having no church community and not knowing what on earth we were doing, we said we love the church. We love the church and we will serve the church. And it cemented it for us. And we said that 13 years ago. And I love the church. And I want to serve the church. And we are privileged enough to be doing that. But we didn't know that this is what it would look like. In that moment, it looked very alone and really scary. And we struggled with how on earth it had gone that far. Because we are smart people and we don't make dumb decisions. And we had made some really dumb decisions. And that had happened. But we had clung to a counterfeit community. We had not processed our hurt. We had not processed our issues. We had not become vulnerable. And we'd sought another group to hide in. So we threw ourselves into the very opposite of what our church looked like. We went to Elam in Christchurch, which was full-on worship. So we've had none for years and years. They They have bands and choirs and sometimes smoke machines. And they were full-on worship. They were, they were, it was scary because they were really into their worship and they did it super well and it was full-on. And we hid in that church safely for a year. We let the leaders know we just need to sit and heal and rest. But we knew if we walked away from church in that moment, we would never come back. We made a decision that we would not, we would not lose church. So we forced ourselves into the opposite. We sat under teaching Uh, They actually had a preschool, so our child could go to something. They actually had a car parking attendant, who I love, because due to all the things that happened to us, Luke couldn't drive, and I had to drive, and driving to church after getting ready for church on a Sunday morning as a mum is a little bit stressful. And this man with an orange vest, who I don't know his name, but he is a hero of mine, would usher us into a car park and open the door, and we would get out and go to church, and every Sunday he was there. Because, you know, it's a mainstream church, you know, that weird thing. But he served beautifully. His smile was always warm. It was raining sometimes. He served. He served the church. He's the most generous person I met in that entire church because he wore a high-vis vest and let me park my car. He did not know what that meant to us. And we were seen, and he said, good morning, as we went in. And we were so blessed. We were freaked out because it was weird because we hadn't been sitting in that for a while. And it was kind of on the continuum slightly over where we would feel comfortable as our home church. Like, you guys look pretty normal, you know, next to some of that stuff. But it was the safest thing for us to do. We threw ourselves back in there. We didn't serve on a team. We tried to go to a life group. That was a little weird sometimes. But we just sat in church. We just sat in community. And we just soaked it up. 
and stayed very still. And then we decided after a year, right, we need to try this church thing again. We didn't get it right straight away. It took us a while to find our home. We got, we got scared by different uh, versions that we saw. But we found our home in our local church, which was actually a part of Grace Vineyard. It was Beach Campus, uh, where we started going just before the Harveys arrived. And that was a beautiful homecoming for me. That was a full circle. I had walked away from that church uh, in my early 20s, and I came back with my family, and that's I knew was my home. So God had done incredible work in our lives and has continued to do an incredible work in our lives. And the little bits I still give him, he's still doing a work in our lives. But we have said we love the church and we want to serve the church, and we feel very blessed that he has... He has allowed us and made that happen. I wanted to say all of that to you, uh, partly to uh, let you know that it it doesn't always look how it looks on a Sunday. There's been a bit of a history, and there's there's been more stories in there about what people have said over us and things that we've had to, to work through and to process through. But I want to say that we get it. We get it as a church, and we get it personally, that in this room right now, on the continuum of how comfortable I am with community, how comfortable I am with vulnerability, if I'm just sitting here and hiding, or I'm sitting here and wishing this was my home, we get it. We get it, and we want to get it for more and more people. We want to be a place where prodigals come into. We want to be a place where the loss comes into. We want to be a place where those who are just over it comes into. But to be that place, we have to kind of vulnerable up ourselves and let people see that we're a little bit broken and we've done a few little weird things and actually you're going to fit in just perfect and fine because we all are. And so I want you to start yourselves just to let, I'm not saying go and pour all that out. Imagine if I did that over a cup of tea instead of hi, how are you and answered good. (laughs) Well, I've been through a cult and quite a lot of tricky stuff and I'm just still working on my own vulnerabilities, but we're fine today. So don't do that. But I'm just saying I want us to move from that understanding that you say, hi, how are you, good? And that you're fine. You know, because one of the reasons I love working out in the kids is I so remember how horrific it is to get here with children because church seems to mess with all their routines. So my favourite thing is to say, you made it. Like, you could go home now because it's a win. Like, you're clocked in, you made it to church, and just well done, because it's hard work doing those things. Or you watch brave people walk in the room for the first time. You know, those people are true legends. Or you watch people that have got bruises on their back because of what they've sat through or things that have been said over them. We want to be a place, not just in words, but in who we are as people, that has the space for this authenticity. So just so you know, it's not my idea. It's in the Bible. And I want to do this part really fast. We've got some verses we're going to look at. But here's a really quick overview because this is a whole sermon in itself and it pains me to do it fast. But we'll do this. So God is expressed as community because he's a triune God. Good. And we're made in his image. So we are actually designed for community. Beautiful word, Imago Dei, which would be a whole series in itself. But there's actually value in our life and value how we've been made. And we're intrinsically designed to want to be in community together. God actually wants to express that through us. He started that with Adam and Eve, put them together in community. Not good to be alone. This is where you belong. He did that in terms of all the human relationships setting up the people of Israel. There were systems, there were tribes, there were groupings, there was order, there was structure. Right through to Jesus' example, that his style of gathering people, 
putting them together. This is who you are now. This is who you belong to. All that style and structure, as well as humbling himself and demonstrating incredible vulnerability, these are the things that are intrinsically based in our scriptures that we know is the example that we have to follow. And even uh, Matthew 28, uh, the final kind of commission to go and make disciples, the idea is where would we put them? Go and make disciples. Gather them in. This is what we've been commanded to do. And Jesus, as he was washing his disciples' feet and starting to give his kind of series of last words, you know, his beautiful last words, one of the key things he told his disciples is to love each other. Like, it's not real complicated. You know, I wonder how we'll do that. So we'll get a sign, and um, we'll get that designed, and we'll get it made, and we'll say we love you. You know, it's a little bit easier that you just love each other. Just love each other to the degree that you know the person. Sometimes that just might be a high because that lets them know they see you. It actually might be a hug if that's their kind of thing. It actually might be saying, like, I'm just going to drop a meal around. You know, it just he says, love each other just as I have loved you. To a very high standard, we love each other because he loved us. You should love each other. So it's not, oh, I wonder. I wonder if Jesus meant that. No, so you should. It's his commandment, and it's your love for one another that will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That will be our point of difference because there are uh, non-divine communities that will gather much easily and be much safer for people because they've got something to rally against and something to rally for, and they won't be the church. And they will be attractive to people because it's much easier and less challenging and you're not going to have to be forced to change in those groups. We need to be authentically offering community to people. We need to be authentically loving one another because that's how people are going to know. So it's pretty clear that God's heart is for embracing community. He welcomes the prodigal home. He puts the fatherless, the widow, the orphan together. He gathers the lost. He, there's a real human sense in that way that we're called to do that, of what the divine looks like. Church is an expression of something to belong to. People being gathered in and for a reason. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25 to 31, it's a lovely story of the body. And I really love it in the message. Um, it says this, The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of that body does your part mean anything. So clear, such a great concrete example. You are Christ's body, you have a part in that. We can't actually have a room of ears saying, oh no, I'm so the body, look at me, I'm an ear, I'm an ear, I'm the body, because it doesn't work. This is a verse speaking very clearly to uh, individualised design, connected together, wholly becoming the body. I had a little back injury, which lots of you saved the day on and gave us uh, wonderful meals, which was incredibly humbling. But I am so astounded by how our body works because the part that I injured didn't hurt. The whole entire side of my body, and everyone who's had this will be doing the slow nod of recognition, the whole entire side of my body where my nerves were hurt. So the pain felt like it was here. And even after sitting on a plane and sitting down too much yesterday, the pain is here. The issue is here. But we don't see, there are parts we don't see. 
And there are parts that will not be seen, but we are so intricately designed as a body because we are whole. In the same way, when one of you hurts, we hurt. When one of you rejoices, we rejoice. You know, well, look what we've done with the pyjamas. Look what we've done to support Bronwyn's friend. This is what community looks like. Prayer request from our lovely friend Catherine in Melbourne, whose son Caleb's been really sick. So lovely to message Heather, get the team praying, because Catherine was part of our church. Catherine is part of our church. Her family is here. So this is how we support one another. It's a really clear picture of a functioning body, individualized parts. You don't have to be like the people sitting around you. And, and don't be like the people sitting around you. Be you. Find your part. Only as you accept your part of the body does your part mean anything. We are designed differently and separately and individually, but we are awesome together. Um, Galatians 6 verse 2, share each other's burdens. In this way you obey the law of Christ. So it's a wee bit of a law now that we need to share each other's burdens, but this is a key thing again. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, motivate each other towards acts of love. Don't neglect meeting together. It's a call to persevere in our faith. That's because they thought this might be something you're going to need encouraging in. This might be something that's a bit tricky. It's a bit tricky to get to church. Traditionally, it's kind of a one in three Sundays, but it'd be really good if it was one in one, in one four and four lost my maths for a second because you need each other you need each other and you are missed when you are not here so this is why the writer of Hebrews is saying yeah I think they're going to need a little bit of perseverance in that so it's pretty clear encourage each other to get there and just keep doing it just keep encouraging other when you see someone come in and they maybe weren't here last week say it's really lovely to see you just say that because you say I see you I recognize you weren't here last time I miss you we are in the same body together it costs you very little to do that very little that's something all of us can do the early church is an awesome example of uh, an early church and it has been heralded as this lofty ideal that I have heard over time people say well that's why we just meet in our home or that's why we've just kind of lived in a commune together but actually this is a very mainstream church doing very mainstream tasks when 3,000 uh, that day about 3,000 took him at his word were baptized and signed up this is the message version again. They committed, committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. Four very clear things that we can do. There's a real day-by-day -day quality to this devotion to each other. So it has introduced us to the priorities of the church. We need to have some teaching. And we've got the same teaching they had because it's recorded in the scripture. So that's quite handy. So we've got the teaching. Life together. Life together. I find it really hard, that statement of doing life together. Um, it just feels a little cheesy. You know, we're doing life together. And yesterday at this uh, training day, we had to introduce where we were doing life. I was thinking, where am I doing life? <laughs> I, I couldn't, I, I think they meant us to say we're from Napier in the Bay. <laughs> but they, the question was, it's very vineyardy. where are you doing life? And I was like, wow, I'm quite tired. So I'm not feeling very lifey at the moment. <laughs> I'm trying to write a sermon in my brain. <laughs> I'm texting to make sure that everything's okay at home. So it's just a very waffly, cheesy sentence. It just really means where are you living and doing and breathing and being? Just yourselves, nothing flash. So they do life together. And also they share meals, communion, and just food. Just They just share meals. They just get together and eat food. Helen and Grace have done a divine thing in organising our after Sunday functions. Thank you so much to both of you. You have taken the heart of this, and this is one of the vehicles to have 
community. It's quite easy to talk to someone over food. It's a bit awkward to stand around and talk to someone, you know, with nothing. Otherwise, you end up just both kind of, oh, sorry, it's the phone, and get to the phone. Food is so easy to talk around. And biscuit and cup of tea kind of food as well, anything. So it's wonderful that these two have done this. And I really want to honour them for that because it is life-giving. It is encouraging. The one that I went to, there were new visitors to church, people that had been recently, people that had been there for a while, all in one room and spilling out everywhere, thanks to Ariana and Bryson's hospitality. That is what community looks like. That is eating the common meal together. So these are these wonderful things. And they did the prayers, the set prayers and like liturgy and being in temple together and just praying for each other. We can do these things. They aren't lofty ideals. This is not the early pristine church and then since the whole thing has fallen apart. This is the priorities of the church that we can take on board. And everyone was in awe of this. And people were added to them daily. Because the thing they were looking for um, down the end is that there was an exuberance and a joy and a generosity. And people say, oh, we don't live like that now. We don't sell everything. We raise money for Murai Nui. That is your money that you put into a common fund that we have given to something practical that turned power on and opened a building. That is called pooling your possessions and what you have to give to those in need. And we are blessed by it. We do these things. They're not lofty, idealised things. Sure, the early church hadn't quite had its run of persecution yet. They hadn't actually had all the Gentiles join them yet. They hadn't had to kind of break into a bit more structure to manage how it was going to be managed. But these are the priorities that they staked out in front of them. They were, the fruit was great joy and generosity, not really good organisation. I think they would have had to be, there would have been a group of organisers holding that whole thing together. God bless the organisers. But that's not the fruit. The fruit was the joy and the generosity and people were added to them daily. Every day the number grew as God added to those who how God added to those who were saved. People saw how people were being treated. People saw that there was a place for them. This wasn't a family grouping as we think of uh, kind of Western culture. These were people that had these could be slaves and masters together in the same room. These could be people that didn't actually associate at temple for different reasons together. This was family through a different lens, and that is what we are called to be. This community came out of maturity in Christ. They were saved, they got the teaching, they built community. And that unity of Christ held them together. Because we could do a really good job by ourselves. We could just decide from this point on, yep, great sermon, thanks Charlotte. What we're going to do is going to be really lovely and really nice. But if we don't do it as coming out of unity in Christ, it will dry up. Because I might not like you some days. Or I might get my thousand yard stare on and you might think, oh my goodness Charlotte, you're so task focused. Or you might decide you don't want to come to church and then you think, well, I won't go next week because then I can't go back. We have to hold it together in Christ, not just our really great idea. We actually have to make him the centre and this is what the early church did. And they, fellowship was a broader word than we use now. It's partnership, having things in common. It's vulnerability and sharing. If they were able to distribute to each other what they needed, someone spoke up and said, I need If you're able to meet everyone's needs, that means you said, I have a need. So there was vulnerability in this church. Fellowship is sharing things with one another. Breaking of bread was just as sacred as being in one another's houses. Their prayer was corporate and their prayer was practical. They were not exclusive. They were not alienating. And they were added to daily. 
this text has been used by so many that it could present as like a, um, a to-do list, that we might really nail the Bible if we do those things. But really what it's saying is this is the heart behind the early church. This is the heart behind what flows out of being saved and what flows out of needing each other. And it's a really lovely difference because, you know, the disciples used to try and talk about who was the first and the best, and there was a wee bit of individualism happening. This is the first time we really see that corporate love was being expressed and corporate serving was being expressed and the me-first attitude had been replaced by this togetherness and this daily community. It looks for us in this church like going to prayer meetings, going to the after-lunch party. It looks like doing working bees and just hanging out with each other and catching up with people. It looks like going to life group and dropping over meals. I was humbled every night that a meal turned up to our house. I love being on the meal roster and making a meal because it's a very easy way to serve and bless someone. And you feel real great turning up and being like, ta-da, I've made your food. But to have it um, be on receiving end of that is very humbling and very hard. And I was so grateful to learn that experience because it held us together having a meal arrive at just the right time, ready to go. And to see people daily and to be able to say, oh, yeah, no, we're doing all right today, but we're doing not today. And, you know, just having that interaction was incredibly special. Don't overlook those things. That's not just, I'm not just saying, please, can you serve? I'm saying these are the ways we love. This is what community looks like. This is what means an awful lot to people. So the early church in Jerusalem may not have been the perfect pattern, but it's an excellent example of a church marked by love. A church marked by love. Love for God first and love for others. And it's a a real yearning for us that we are characterised by that same devotion, that authentically we can be generous and be joyful and be giving. So I want to look at finally about some of these truths about embracing community because it's all very well and good, but it actually gets a bit hard because it's a little bit personal because it's actually easier to stay in the fringe, actually easier just to kind of hang back a little because you don't, um, then your hurt doesn't get challenged because that can get quite messy and then someone else is not going to hurt you again. So to move from the outside in and really get community around you is really painful. And I don't just want to throw this word around like this is a great thing I want everyone to do. I want to acknowledge that it's really, really hard. It will be easy for you to stay in church on the edge. It will be easier not to talk to the people next to you. It will be easier to say, oh, I just won't do that because we just do this and we don't do that. And it will be easier to stay that way for quite some time. That would be the easier thing to do. The hard, brave, courageous thing is to be a little bit vulnerable and brace yourself for hurt and realise that there's healing in that. I don't know if it's unfortunately or fortunately, but you will be hurt and healed by your church community. You will be hurt by them and healed by them because we're kind of just a wee bunch of people with our own stuff, but you will never find greater healing in a community of people. You will be stirred up by that. I just it's so beautiful this morning seeing our children and they wave out and say, oh, I've got an instrument. They're so ecstatic to be here. That's a lovely part of our community. Steve Whitaker made me a cup of tea. That's a beautiful part of community. There's so many lovely moments that are so rich and so small. But if you allow yourself to enter into community, you will be blessed by others in this room just by very little things. So... um. In the encouragement of uh, being prophetic and encouraging, I was praying for us as a church, and this is the picture that I got, and I really want to share it with you because I think it's really important for some people here. I saw people sitting in their seats at church wearing backpacks, 
and they were sitting in church super happy to be there, happy with what was going on, happy with the tone, happy with the vibe, loving church, but they were uncomfortably carrying and sitting with these backpacks on, backpacks of past hurt and pain. And my thought was this, nothing is going to change for you unless that backpack comes off. This church will continue to feel like every other experience that you've had unless that backpack comes off. And even though you will be quite happy here, you will never get that thing that you desire unless that backpack comes off. And a backpack is easy to shrug off, but actually very uh, heavy to wear. And there will be collected past hurts and pains and betrayals and disillusionment and really over it that you are carrying. Maybe you know it, maybe you don't, maybe you say I'm quite happy to keep mine on, thank you very much. All of that is fine. My message in this was things won't change unless that comes off. I just want to leave that with you. We can pray through some of that stuff um, soon. Um, As I said before, we are designed with an inbuilt desire to belong. We are made to belong. And other people are difficult, and community interrupts our individual plans, and it doesn't look pretty, and we can still feel lonely in a crowd of people. And community requires vulnerability, and that's quite messy in itself. But our desire is to be seen and to be known, and people's desire is to be seen and to be known. If we can... Uh, see people and get to know them and kind of bridge through that vulnerability, that's how we will build community in God, community in God. And it's a path, I think, that is our only way back as if we can do that. That's the only thing that's going to separate us and make us a point of difference. Different from working workplace community, that's with your colleagues, you're paid, you know you're supposed to be there. Different from other groups you may join who've got something in common. There's a powerful connection that happens when we are community together. I love in the conversations I'm having with the Ministry of Education and helping get our playgroup going when I talk about my church. So it's not Charlotte doing it, because Charlotte is a person that no one knows, but my church is setting up a trust. My church has people that are, have been praying for Murai Nui for a long time, and this is what we want to do in Murai Nui. We have people, we have resources, we can gather money. This is what we can do. There's so much more power in that we, and that we is every single one of us. In that moment where someone says, oh, no, that's fine, Charlotte, it's not normal that we do this, but sure, you can start your playgroup and do that. That's a we We have that win because a person by themselves cannot do those things. So there is power in this community. I just want to add too that vulnerability needs to be met with safety and boundaries. Vulnerability is not Instagram. Vulnerability is not oversharing. Vulnerability is not dumping your crap on other people. Vulnerability comes with boundaries. Vulnerability is courageously opening yourself up a little bit more. So as I suggest that, don't just think, excellent, I'm now going to share all my rubbish with you, leave it with you, and see you later. There, there is appropriateness in that sharing. There's appropriate people, appropriate language, but it is starting to say that actually this is who I am, that's what I want to move to. We will be safer and stronger and better together with those boundaries. So what I've talked today is about a very personal journey, and I don't want you to just leave and go, that's lovely, thanks for sharing your journey, Charlotte. I want us to move from wherever our point A is to wherever our point B is. I want us to move because we don't want to muck around. We have chosen a very intense series. We are launching another intense series because we we don't want to muck around. We need to be a functioning community that people can come into. We need to be ready and we need to be moving as a community so that we can get some stuff done. 
So I don't want us to just stay in one space. There will be different movements for every single one of you. So for me, I am learning more about vulnerability myself. I don't like it, but I am learning to say it because I see that it frees other people. That is my step. And I am got to a step where I can say I totally love and serve the church. That is my step. We had a step in our lives where we sat for a year and did not move, and that was the right step for that time in our lives. We had another step in our lives where we packed up our lives and moved to Napier. Also the right step for that time in our lives. But unless we grow towards it, we're not going to find it. So I really want to, um, to encourage you to stay in community, to grow in that community, and think about what is your A to B uh, point. So for some of you right now, it is the healing, and you are welcome. You are welcome to sit, and you are welcome to be, and you are loved just for who you are, and you don't need to do anything. If you hear me saying, join my team, you don't need to do anything. You are loved for who you are. That is the safest place you need to be. For some of you, you have taken a while to find home, and you are ready to put some roots down, just slowly, easily, ready to put some roots down, ready to say, these are actually my people. This is the journey I'm taking. Ready to take some ownership in that. And there's all points in the middle. I just want to uh, share the homework before we get into our prayer time because I'd really love to pray for people today uh, to help their backpacks come off. And, and sometimes you're going to need to go back and sift through that stuff. We've really had to process um, how we submit to leadership because of the hurt that we had experienced. So it's getting the backpack off and maybe we'll have to go back and process some of that stuff. But I think it's so key if you are sitting in a church and you're still carrying that pain, things are not going to progress. You're not going to be able to go forward. So I'd really love to pray for people like that. I'd really love to pray for people as well who are ready to get in ready to engage, ready to be a bit vulnerable, ready to embrace what's and all, the body, the seen, the unseen parts, the weird way we work together, and to really uh, commit to community. So our homework this week, um, there's two parts to the beginner. It may be enough for you that you sign up right today for the big feed, and that you go and you do a little bit of banter. So banter's kind of superficial chat. It lasts for a limited amount of time before you can go into deep stuff, but you're going to need to do it. So practice. Uh, there's going to be good food. You might laugh. That will also be okay. You also might share a little bit of your story. Like, hi, I live in Bayview. I'm going to eat the food now. Um, beginner part B is that you get to know the names of the people around you. Because a weird thing happens in church. We tend to sit where we sit. And we tend to go back to where we sit. So you will start to recognise people that are sitting near you. Phenomenal. You might even be able to learn their names. So that is my beginner part B challenge. You could ask them how their name, their name. Then you could ask them how they're doing. And then you could say, no, really, how are you doing? And get past the fine. You could um, regularly come to church. You could be brave and go to Sunday lunch. These are all some really good beginner parts. Only do what you can do. Intermediate, you could really make a commitment to church for next term and to obey group and really get into this emotionally healthy spirituality course. As Sam said, you will only get what out of it what you put into it. And being brave and vulnerable in that course, you're going to learn an awful lot. And uh, in advance, you can do all of the things that have been stated, and you can explore um, radically ordinary hospitality. So John Mark Comer has a sermon, uh, a podcast series called Eating and Drinking, which is all about the fact that basically through Luke's gospel, Jesus spent a lot of time going to a meal, or being at a meal, or coming away from a meal, and so it takes us through these different meals, 
and it looks at how inviting people into your home, what that releases and what that does. Radically ordinary hospitality. So his first one in that series, Eating and Drinking Part 1, just talks about that tangible expression of love, that what we can do as a body, moving beyond entertainment, but actually having people over in, in hospitality. So that's a real challenge to engage with others. So those are your last homework of the term. Some of it's due next Saturday night at the big feed. And we're, as Sam said, we're wrapped that so many people have signed up for this. This will be a, a really significant thing for you to do in the life of our church. And there's quite a few in the advance. There's quite a few in that podcast series that will really challenge you in terms of going forward and how you view others. But um, there's no gentle way to kind of flow into it. But I don't want to miss the opportunity to pray. I don't want you to leave here without being prayed for. And remember, there's no magical people to pray. We, we can all pray for each other. Everyone gets a chance to play. That means everyone can pray for each other. So if it's safer to just ask someone next to you to pray for you, if you'd like to come forward, I'd love to pray for you. There's people here that will pray for you. And we really want to help you Embrace community. That's where life will happen. That's where you will grow and flourish in whatever stage you're at. If you're at the, I'm feeling incredibly hurt and I just want to sit here, or I'm ready to dig in and be part of that. So let's first of all stand together.